So Jesus uh, was married 18, married for seven years. God took his wife. He learns the fullness of the law. And then ultimately he goes to Egypt to learn from the Egyptians like Moses. And on the way, becomes aware of the power of a holy name by meditating, fasting, and prayer. This is incredible. This is something that we really need to understand as crucial and fundamental to the life and the formation of who Jesus was and who he still is. Well, hello friends, welcome back to the Spiritual Nomad YouTube channel and podcast. My name's Luke and we are going to be continuing looking at some of the very obscure and far out things in the Gospel of the Holy 12. Again, for those on YouTube, here is a, uh, what it looks like, the Gospel of the Holy 12. And uh, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible work. If you've not become familiar with what this is, I did another video, it's probably somewhere up here. You can click to learn about the origin of the Gospel of the Holy 12. Uh, we're just going to kind of get into it here today, uh, but just the sort of 10-second thing is basically there is a lot of information in the Gospel of the Holy Twelve that is the same as our canonical Gospels or the accepted version, but there's just mixed in and it's spiced up with other additional added details. And I would say not added details, rather, it's original details that were deleted by those who edited the Gospels and really formulated Gospels to their own uh, agenda and uh, cultural conditioning uh, thousands of years ago. So I look at this as sort of like the director's cut, if you will, of the Gospel, the life of Jesus. And uh, it gets sort of sliced and diced later to get the Gospels that we have in the canonical Bible. Now, don't hear me wrong. I love the Gospels that are in the canonical Bible um, in the scriptures. I, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are incredible Gospels. Um, there is a lot of things that people need to learn about those Gospels of how they came to be, which I talk about a lot in that other video. Uh, but basically what we need to know is that this Gospel uh, has a lot of other elements to it that really contradicts or conflicts with the agenda of really what Christianity has been ever since it became uh, a religion of the state back with Constantine and uh, Christianity becoming the religion of the Roman Empire. So anytime that religion and uh, politics start mixing, you know things are going to get bad pretty quickly. So that's what happened. There is an agenda. Um, it was definitely uh, neutered of a lot of the wisdom and information that we find in the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. But again, click that other video if you want to learn more about the history. Today, what we're getting into is a follow-up. Last week, I did an episode about my grandpa who went to purgatory a few weeks ago and uh, came back to tell some stories, so we took a little bit of a break from this series. But um, jumping back in today, what I want to talk about the week before that, we talked about the virgin birth um, and how that was something that... Um, or did we talk about that? No, that was the week beforehand. Sorry. Um... You know, we talked about Jesus as being a child, what a child like was like for Jesus. And so we're going to continue that. So the canonical gospels, uh, we have the lost years of Jesus. After age 12, we don't hear anything about Jesus in the accepted version of the gospels until age 30, where he comes back on the scene and gets baptized by John the Baptist. The gospel of the Holy 12 gives us a peek into what happened during those lost years of Jesus. There's been a lot of speculation over the years. There's a lot of unique sources. Um, some sources, I, I would say, aren't as reliable as this. 
I think that this is probably the most reliable source for what we can see in the lost years of Jesus. Um, there's also uh, the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus, um, if you are interested in that. But I will say that those were downloaded from the uh, Akashic Records. So this is someone who went into, his name was Levi, he went into that space into that dimension and pulled down this wisdom and knowledge from that dimension and put it into words, into a book, into this dimension for the life of Jesus. And so if you're someone like honestly me a little bit, that's a little skeptical of people getting information from that realm and bringing it into here, this has a little bit more of a historical evidence for someone writing this gospel. Most likely it's the gospel uh, or it's the disciple John, but um, so this is probably the most reliable information we have about the lost years of Jesus. I also did another video years ago about the lost years of Jesus. I'll put that somewhere up here too if you're interested. Uh, just information about Jesus traveling to other countries. At the time of recording that video though, I had no idea about the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. This was sources that I've had, that I found through other books and things, um, other podcasts and other YouTube videos and um, information that's been passed to me. But this Gospel of the Holy Twelve really gives us, again, a more reliable source. So I didn't have awareness of this whenever you watch that old video of Did Jesus Go to India? So let's uh, just read. I'm going to read you the scripture from the Gospel of the Holy Twelve, and uh, it's going to pick up where Jesus is 18 years old. So it talks about, again, last week we talked about Jesus in his childhood, about how he uh, you know, he cares for animals, how he uh, was uh, healed a uh, bird, he healed two sparrows, um, and just people just everywhere he went, ground that was infertile became fertile. Again, he just had the fullness of life exuding from his presence. Um, so that's where we left off a couple weeks ago. Today we pick up where Jesus is 18. And so we're only going to do that sort of teenage, early 20s years of Jesus. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes today. That's where we're going to be. So it says, this is lection six, starting in verse 10. And in the 18th year of his age, Jesus was espoused unto Miriam, a virgin of the tribe of Judah, with whom he lived seven years, and she died, for God took her that he might go on to higher things which he had to do and to suffer for the sons and daughters of men. Let's just pause there really quick. We have more far out stuff to talk about, but this shows us that Jesus was actually married. Jesus was married to a woman named Miriam at 18 years of age that he was espoused to her and he, she was a virgin of the tribe of Judah, as it says, but for seven years, Jesus was married. We never hear about that, this at all in our canonical gospels. We always think of Jesus as being uh, just this celibate, single priest sort of guy, but this is nothing like Jesus at all. And I think it really affirms this idea of that Jesus, uh, what did Paul say? One of his epistles, he wrote about how Jesus was fully human and experienced all, maybe that was Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. I don't know. I'm recording this early in the morning, by the way, so <laughs> catching up here. Um, but he was fully human and experienced all of the things that we experience today. And so, of course, Jesus would be married. Of course, he would experience this sort of suffering. He was married to his wife for seven years, but she died. Imagine the pain and the suffering 
that you would experience from your spouse being taken from you. Jesus was apparently trying to settle down and live a normal life despite all of these powers that he had, that he showed in his younger years. All of this wisdom and knowledge whenever he went to Jerusalem and was schooling all of the rabbis and the teachers of the law, whenever he was bringing sparrows back to life and doing incredible works as a child, it looks like Jesus was trying his best to just be a skilled carpenter. It tells us that as well, and that he was living uh, a married life with someone who was a virgin. And so Jesus lived seven years, she died, God took her, that Jesus might go on to the higher things, which he had to do and suffer for the sons and daughters of men. So apparently Jesus had uh, something else in his life, and I think we see that now in retrospect. But it's just incredibly interesting to me that even how it's framed, it's like God took this other life. And going back to the, the video I did last week with my grandpa where he met God in purgatory, God says that he has a timeline for every single person on earth, including Jesus, including Miriam, his wife, that they got to experience seven years of marriage, but then God took her life so Jesus could go on to do these things. You see the life of the Buddha where he had a son. He, had a, he was married and had a son, and he left his wife and his son to go find enlightenment, to go seek enlightenment. Jesus was almost forced to go and to seek his full realization of enlightenment. His wife, he had no kids, but his wife was taken from him. Who knows? I mean, this is completely just, you know, creative authority here. Maybe they did have a child. Maybe the child died in infancy. Who knows? We don't have that information, but Jesus suffered because of this, and he would continue to suffer for the healing of the world. That's what he says that he goes on to do, to suffer for the sons and daughter of men. So let's continue. So Jesus was married at 18 for seven years, so this puts him in his early 20s. And after this, Jesus had finished his study of the law. So Jesus then continued studying his own culture, his own tradition, his own religion. Jesus knew the law fully. We see that at 12, he's schooling the teachers of the law, but he, after, uh, sorry, and Jesus, after that, had finished his study of the law, Jewish law, went down again into Egypt, that he might learn the wisdom of the Egyptians, even as Moses did. Okay, pause really quick again, too, before we get too far into this. So Jesus Whenever he was born, his parents, they fled to Egypt. If you remember, Herod uh, sent out a decree that every child under two would be murdered because they said that the Messiah was alive. And so an angel visited Mary and Joseph and had them go to Egypt to protect Jesus from this insane slaughter that was happening. So Jesus spent his early years, his formative years, growing up in Egypt until he came back uh, and they ended up living in Nazareth. Um, so Jesus goes back to Egypt now as an adult, as a man, after he has been living, he grew up living in Egypt, he comes back, he has this uh, wisdom and knowledge about him, he is doing miraculous things, he's you know, bringing animals back to life, and then gets married, loses his wife, finishes all of his study for his native indigenous religion, for the law, and then he then goes in to Egypt once again, goes back to Egypt to learn the wisdom of the Egyptians. The Egyptians have such immense wisdom. 
The Egyptians have their wisdom preceding them from Atlantis. So Egypt, before it was named Egypt, was named Chem. And people came from Atlantis to the land of Chem when they were still very barbaric and gave the wisdom of Atlantis to the people of Chem and grew them and groomed them in wisdom and knowledge along the Nile and built these pyramids by vibration, by intention, and had all of the wisdom and mystery and the esoteric knowledge, really the, the esoteric knowledge of the West largely comes from our origins, uh, from occult things within uh, Egyptian thought and theory. We have some others as well, we have the Druids and others, but, but really the most ancient, oldest, um, Western mysticism is derived from Egypt, which is then brought from Atlantis. And so what we see is Jesus going back because he knows the wisdom of the Egyptians. And whenever he goes to the see the fullness of his law, I think there could be, again, creative uh, insight here, you know, creative uh, authority, if you will, that when Jesus saw the fullness of his own religion, he must have thought there has to be something more than this. There has to be something that is even more expansive and esoteric than this. And Judaism certainly has its own history and roots in mysticism, but I think Jesus was probably remembering some of the conversations from his childhood, remembering some of the things that he experienced in his very early formative years there, and went to seek that wisdom and knowledge back in the land of Egypt. So Jesus then goes back into Egypt that he might learn the wisdom of the Egyptians as Moses did. Moses, remember the story of Moses. Moses was uh, an abandoned child and was found by the Pharaoh's daughter, right? And jo I'm sorry, Joseph. Uh, Moses was raised in Egyptian culture from birth, really from birth. He was only a baby whenever he was found and so in the river. And so Moses is brought up. Of course, he, Moses is going to learn all of the wisdom and the insight of the Egyptians, all of these occult practices. Now, if you, like me, you know, a pastor, uh, a Christian origin, a pastor's kid, you hear the word occult and immediately you think of like Satanism, okay? That's not what occultism really is. Occult just means hidden or mystery. That's what that word literally translates to be is hidden, mystery. And so basically it's saying it's not just on the surface level. You're going to have to dig beneath the surface to see what's happening. That's why there's symbols and imagery and numerology and geometry, all of these things to help invite you into the more deeper foundational transcendent reality of this plane of existence and the beyond. And so we have to know that this word is not something that just means devil worship, okay? Occultism is just the hidden mystery, the wisdom that is beyond the surface. And Moses would have learned these things growing up. Moses was brought up as the Pharaoh's son. He would have learned from all of the best sorcerers. Now listen to this word, sorcerers. I don't know the real etymology on it. I'll admit right now, uh, I'm just using it as a way to help us understand it's the source, going to the source, being a sorcerer is bringing source, the source, capital S source, eternal divine source into this plane of existence. Sorcerer is your sourcing from source into this world to transmute, to change, to bring alchemy into this reality. 
And so Moses, again, would have learned all of these things. This is why I think it comes so natural to Moses whenever he does all of these miraculous things that set the people free from Egypt, whenever he goes and he sees the burning bush, whenever he leaves Egypt, and he goes and he sees the burning bush where he meets God, and God literally says that his name is Yahweh, which means I am that which I will be. So I am. When, when God says reveals his name, he says, I am that which I will be. Don't get stuck on my name. The Old Testament has so many different names for God. God is not just named one thing because God will manifest however God wants to manifest. God is over all things, through all things, in all things, as all things. So because of that, God has the liberty and freedom to transmute and to be whatever name he chooses to be, which is why we have to understand that this transcends images and it's a bigger essence that is happening. And Moses, whenever he sees God, I am that which I will be, Moses is already accustomed to the sort of magic that's available uh, by being an alchemist. And that's why he goes back and he has a face-off and he duels with all of these alchemists and sorcerers and magicians from Egypt, people who he probably was colleagues of, maybe even people, again, being creative authority here, people that he even learned under. Maybe some of these people were even his own teachers, and he brings this sort of wisdom and this alchemist uh, transmutation to turn this river into blood, to bring locusts, to do all of these things. This is all magic. Again, if you're a Christian background, you're going to think magic is bad. Magic is simply taking things and shifting them in different ways. We see Jesus doing this all the time. Jesus is the great sorcerer. Jesus is the great magician. He spits in mud, puts it on people's eyes, and now they can see. He takes people and clears their leprosy in an instance. This is all transmutation, magician, uh, sorcery. This is a lot of these things. And now I know many of you are probably going to put rude comments down below about that for calling Jesus these things, but why wouldn't we use these definitions for Jesus? He went and learned from these people himself, as did Moses, his predecessor. So Moses uh, is the law, and we have the prophets, which Elijah represents that. And you'll remember, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Jesus on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration, who shows up? Moses and Elijah, right? And uh uh, James or Peter or John, one of the three that was up on the mountain with him, they said, Lord, should we build a tabernacle here? This is incredible. And then a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son. Listen to him. Moses represents the law. Um, and then I just said his name. Uh, Elijah represents the prophets. And it's saying that Jesus is being elevated to a status above the law and the prophets. Listen to him. But Jesus would deeply have known his history from his birthright, from being from the lineage of Moses and Elijah. Okay, getting sidetracked here. Uh, even as Moses did. So Moses learned about this wisdom of the Egyptians. Jesus goes to learn the same. And going into the desert, he meditated and fasted and prayed and obtained the power of the holy name by which he wrought many miracles. So Jesus goes into this sort of isolated state as he's on his way to Egypt. As he's on his way to Egypt, he goes into the desert on his way there and he's meditating, fasting, and praying. And this is where he re is revealed this holy name. 
I believe this is where the real Christ begins to become manifest within him. That that is how he taps into the eternal to bring many miracles. He says the power of the holy name, holy name is capital, uh, by which he wrought many miracles, but by the name of the eternal, he brings these miraculous alchemist things into our existence. Um, let's see. This is already 20 minutes long. Let's pause there. We'll begin next week with some more things. So Jesus uh, was married, 18, married for seven years. God took his wife. He learns the fullness of the law. And then ultimately he goes to Egypt to learn from the Egyptians like Moses. And on the way, becomes aware of the power of a holy name by meditating, fasting, and prayer. This is incredible. This is something that we really need to understand as crucial and fundamental to the life and the formation of who Jesus was and who he still is. So uh, it's incredible. 20 minutes I think is good. We'll start this next week again where we learn about some of the things that he does. He converses with God face to face and that will be on next week's episode. So have a wonderful day, my friends. Be sure to share this video, comment below, engage in comments. I love hearing from you. I love chatting with you. Send me a direct message on Instagram as well. The spiritual nomad with underscores. And um, we will see you here on the next episode. 